Hi, thanks for watching. This is some highlights from our online sessions that I call the Inner Sanctum online sessions. And I edit out about 40 minutes from our teachers free for you to watch because people that join our online sessions, it is a paid service. It is part of the way I make a living and help other teachers promote their work. So if you'd like to join the online Inner Sanctum group sessions, we have a guest teacher once a month and I teach once or twice a month deliberate creation and energy exercises and how to tap into your intuition and how to be more psychic and all that good stuff, please sign up on the website, uh, Karnswain slash Inner Sanctum. It's not expensive if you sign up now. So I hope you join us if you're somebody that wants to make a difference in this world and feel like you've got something to share and you'd like a little support team and meet other teachers and meet some of the guests I have on the show, hear wonderful stories and wonderful teachings. So enjoy the highlights. Big love. Bye for now. Hello. Welcome to the Inner Sanctum with the gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful Courtney Beck. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you for joining us, Court. Just back from the States. Over there promoting, were you promoting the book, the first book? I was definitely doing some work over there, but I'd say it was probably more a journey of self-discovery. Really? Yeah. So, self so, yeah. You went to Sedona, right? You went to a few places. Yeah, I went to Sedona um, and I actually fell in love with Montana too. So that's probably one of my favourite places. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I've only seen Montana on television, but it does look amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. It was spectacular. Yeah, but we experienced, we travelled for three months in total. So we experienced so many beautiful places and I felt incredibly at home there. Oh, beautiful. So, so we'll, all right, we'll start with your story. What I might do is I might mute everybody and just let Courtney speak and just sort of share your, some of your story and I'll quiz you. And then we'll go into some questions and we might get you to do some channeling. How's that sound? Cool. Sounds good. I don't know. There's probably a few more people going to jump on. So do you want to just share a little bit of your awakening story with people, like how it happened and how Krishna and Isis and all the gang, all the mob introduced themselves to you? <laughs> yeah, so I, um, I guess from the moment I was born, I had abilities, but I chose to ignore them. They were too confronting for a long time. So I chose a really logical career working in the corporate world um, as a problem solver for big brands. Um, and that was something that I loved for a long time and I was really good at it, but I always felt like what I was doing should hold more meaning than working for banks and alcohol companies. And um, I guess in, in my mind and my heart, I always wanted to use Ah, I guess my brain for better purposes than, than promoting those brands. So um, I actually got to my dream job in the corporate world, which was a strategy director. And I guess in human terms, I was kind of set. If I had have stayed in that job, we probably would have had a pretty cushy life. But um, as we all know, life throws us some curveballs. So um so I had landed this role and what happened at the time was that my now wife, Jules, had become incredibly unwell. So um, I, I basically was told by, by the work that I was in that, um, that I would essentially have to hand over my soul to do that job. Like I've always had side projects. I'd have to give them away. It would be a very all-consuming position. Um, 
And three months into the role and with Jules being so sick, it just put me in this position where I had to choose what really mattered. And, and to me, that wasn't work. It was, you know, um, trying to help the love of my life um, sustain her life on this planet. So, um, so I actually started working from home and um, just spending more time in that space and with Jules. And we tried every type of traditional medicine that we could to help her and nothing worked and I was literally at the point where I would do anything to just keep her here and I for the first time turned back to these guys and said please whatever I need to do I will do it um my hairs are standing up on my arms um just just give me something and so I actually turned back to Reiki which was something that I'd used as a child to work with my asthma and just started giving Jules treatments. And then um, I realized that keeping in that corporate world wasn't sustainable because so much of my attention was at home. And I think my employer at the time was probably a bit miffed that my head was just in another place. And so I said to these guys, look, if I can't do this work, I need to find something else that I can do from home. And so I turned to meditation in a very strategic way, not in a spiritual way. I just thought if I can empty my mind, then maybe something will come to me. And so it was a very ordinary morning when I went out for a run and came back and just decided to spend, I think it was five or 10 minutes meditating. And then I just felt a spiral activate in my spine. And I just got the sense that I wasn't alone anymore. Um, and I went and had a shower and I looked down at my body and I just heard in my mind, so this is the body that you've chosen. And it was just this really odd experience. And, you know, I, I had turned away from my spirituality for most of my life. So it wasn't something I was interested in or, um, and then I had all these strange cravings, like food cravings, like um, Neapolitan ice cream and just really odd stuff. I was really excited to drive the car, but I also had this compulsion to write and I have channeled in the past, but it was like my dirty little secret. I would never tell anybody about it. And so I sat down and wrote what would end up being the first, I think four chapters of conversations with Krishna. And it was all about the creation of the universe that what was coming through uh, which wasn't usual either. And so I ended up saying, like, who am I speaking to? <laughs> and I heard Krishna. And I've always been, it, it was almost like I came out of the womb anti-religion. I think I've had some lives where I've been persecuted in the past. So I just was, and I went to a religious school. So um, I just, um, I guess I'd always rejected that part of myself. And, yeah, I found out it was Krishna. And I thought, who the hell is Krishna? <laughs> And ended up looking Krishna up and was told that, um, that this is what I would spend the rest of my life doing, that we would be channeling books and writing and, and that I had a year to extricate myself from the corporate world. Um, and me being me, I just ignored it. I thought I could live with one foot in the corporate world and live with the other foot in the spiritual plane. And um, you can probably imagine how that went. <laughs> Um, yeah. And so it's been a few years now. I think that happened back in 2016. So since then, it's just been a, a progressive unraveling of who I was before. And I guess, a an opening up of who I've always been, but just never wanted to see. Oh, but the beauty of your corporate work is you don't, um, you don't have to like let any of that go because I don't know, we live in this world where 
you know, trying to get people's attention about anything. It's such a noisy world. So mm. to have all that fabulous, you know, cats nodding, all that fabulous um, strategy that you gained in the marketing in the corporate world to sort of help get these messages out there is wonderful. I mean, the thing about it, though, is that there's this juxtaposition between having the busy mind that's full of ideas like, oh, I could do this, I could do that, and we could do it like this, and we could do, and that's strategy, strategy, and then finding the silence and the emptiness to just receive, like think, 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 receive, think, 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 like, so there's that juxtaposition of how do I just be in flow and receive guidance and follow that guidance and not get to, because you get one idea and then you start going, oh, and they could do that, and they could do that, and you how do you juggle that? Um, my wife, Jules, definitely plays a big part in that. So I was explaining to Karen earlier before we jumped on that um, I'm, I'm like an octopus and I have a million different tentacles and each tentacle is a different idea that I want to carry out. But there simply isn't enough hours in the day for me to do it. So, And I'm constantly trying to add new tentacles on as well. And so Jules will say to me, I know that you really want to do this but do you actually physically have the time to do it? And so she makes me reflect on, I guess, what my physical body is able to do as well, because that's been a big lesson for me in the last year too. Um, so I've been on a bit of a journey to learn, I guess, relearn how to look after my physical body, because in my mind I can be incredibly powerful. And I think we all believe that we're immortal in that sense, I guess, because you know, at, at a soul level we are immortal. But then we're in this flesh suit that, you know, obviously ages and degrades over time. And, and so about six months ago, I had um, a premonition of my own death. Actually, maybe it's about a year ago now. I had a premonition of my own death at 40. So I turned 38 in October. And, and basically, I had a heart attack from what I could see. And that was so shocking for me to see that. And it was all how I respond to stress. So I actually went to the doctor and she said, you know, your blood pressure's at the level of what a 60 year old's is. Um, and I'm a vegan. I, you know, I have, you know, I, I enjoy having a beer, but you know, one beer is enough. Um, but yeah, I'm super clean eating and healthy and, um, and it was all how I responded to stress. So that's a not good thing that I carried with me from the corporate world. Um, so I've kind of been working on that and getting out swimming and taking time out and trying to learn balance, which is not something I've traditionally been good at, hence the octopus legs. Um, yeah, so it's, it, it's great if you can have, I guess if you're like me, having someone who can ground you and remind you of your physical limitations and that it's good to have balance, that we all have a purpose that we want to fulfil, but we also have to survive long enough <laughs> in order to be able to fulfil it. Absolutely, absolutely. You looking at you, you look so healthy. You look so like so stress. You shine like the sun. I know. There's just there's yeah. look. I know. I know so many people that have been look. Anita Morjani's. This is her message to the world. You know, yeah. she she was um, vegetarian, vegan, yoga, meditation. You know, she was doing all the stuff, like doing it all. But the thoughts in her head about um, not, you know, fitting in, not being worthy enough, the, the stressful thoughts, like we get so attuned, accustomed to our own stressful thoughts that they become our default setting and we don't realise what the impact they have, not only 
in our life but on our physical body as well so it's mm. such an important such an important message really i think that the premonition was just a bit of a warning don't you think yeah which i actually saw it change yeah um, so I'd, I'd started meditating again and and took up swimming and um just started really it was just a huge lesson in the importance of looking after the physical self and so i saw that change again <laughs> um which was you know i thought okay i'm off the hook but then it, it still stays in my mind in, I think, a positive way as a reminder of um, how important it is to look after the physical vessel and also to create balance as well. Like I've really been playing with how much work I do in a day and what feels good and what feels bad um, and, you know, what exhausts me versus what fills me up and, and kind of t continuously tweaking that so that I can feel good and healthy all the time and still do the work that I need to. I guess that you picked up some bad habits in the corporate world because as you say, yeah. they wanted you to sell your soul. It's like, yeah. I just think of Bewitched, you know, that it, and how Darren was always working and his boss was always beating him to work harder, work harder, more ideas, more ideas. And so yeah. this constant pressure to work, 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 work. Yeah, that's really set up in the corporate world, isn't it? Yeah, um, and I think it's a very human thing to do too, that we're kind of, especially culturally, we're taught that we should be hustling and churning and burning 24-7 and that's, there's like a, um, like a glory that's projected in that, in the world that we live in. Like, you know, there's the whole like lean in movement and, and all of that is great and I think sometimes it can push you to, to lean more out of your comfort zone. But then I guess what I'm loving about, some realizations I've had recently is there, there can be a more effortless way of living if you can just allow yourself to be supported, which I traditionally have never liked. Um, I'm very fiercely independent. I like to do things on my own. And um, it's been a whole lesson for me that I guess the art form of surrendering and just having faith that I'll be taken where I need to go and that I don't need to continuously sprint to do that yeah yeah that's a biggie that's a biggie yeah so, so krishna introduced himself to you and cha started channeling through did he ever uh when i say he because you know he's the way we understand him it's like we look yeah. at christ or mother mary or any of the saints or buddha you know we look at them as this singular identity but when they communicate to us through spirit they're a part of a collective you know a, a collective stream of consciousness uh, they've moved more back into that oneness, that collective, which we're starting to just grapple with here in our singular identities on earth. But uh, did he ever uh, sort of talk to you about your relationship like with him? Um, I know that we've known each other in a past life. Um, I believe that we come from the same place. So I always, when I look up in the night sky, I always look to Sirius. It's I've just... Like when I look at that star, I just feel like it's home. Um, so I think our history, because something I always battled with was when this happened, I was like, why did a Hindu deity choose like a white girl that walks, that works in the corporate world from Sydney? Like how, where is the logic in that? <laughs> totally disregarding that there are likely to be thousands of past lives that we've crossed paths or, you know, that there's history there. So um, because, yeah, apart from Krishna, I also get Kali, 
Um, and, you know, I have Egyptian connections too. So there's Isis as well that we do a lot of work with. And then we managed to pick up St. Germain in Mount Shasta in California. So he's become, a, I guess, a figure that appears in the healings now too. So, yeah, but I do, I do agree that it's all, they're all part of the one team and the one energy. I think they just present themselves in the way that we need to see them so that it's more palatable for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They're the mob. <laughs> you know, I talk yeah. about the mob. You could give them all these identities, but I just make it generic and just call them the mob. It's the stream of consciousness which all teachers have tapped into that have ever taught on this, um, you know, taught consciousness on on this planet. Buddha was tapped into the same stream of consciousness. Jesus, they're all tapped into that same stream of consciousness. And so they're all from that same stream of consciousness. And you could call that God or the infinite unified field. I don't know. What do you want to call it? You could call it the collective. There's so many names we could give it. But um, as we've discussed many times in the inner sanctum, once you give something a name, you separate it from the whole. You know, there is the whole and then there is an extension of the whole and then you label it or name it and now it's separate. It's like I remember a spiritual teacher said that, you know, once we sort of look at a tree, instead of thinking of the tree as me, we give it a name and now it's a tree. Now it's no longer me. So mm -hmm. as we label and identify things, we, we create this separation. But, yeah, that's how we operate here on earth. We operate in that sort of understanding and um and these people like saint germain have had these physical lives that we can relate to just like when i share people's stories on the show we relate to people's stories in their physical lives we can relate to their uh lives i suppose that krishna's physical life he's been here a few times right As yeah yeah um and one life that he talks about is the life that he led in atlantis but he seemed to be undercover in that life in that no one knew who he was. So um, after doing conversations with Krishna, we then went on to channel a second book, which I've just released, which is called Awakened Souls. And that's Krishna's perspective on the path to enlightenment or traveling the path to enlightenment. And then the third book that we did, which I want to sink my teeth into next, into getting that ready to be published, uh, is called Universal Law. And that's um, all about how the laws of the universe affect our time here as well. And in that book, he talks about a life in Atlantis. And you and I have spoken about that life before, Karen. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait to read that book. I really, I really want to read that book. <laughs> she won't yeah. let me read it until it's out. <laughs> Soon. I just, I just want to make sure that it's ready. And yeah. Yeah. So do you want to get, okay. So the second book, what's the second one about? Do you want to give us a bit of a hint what's in the second book? What's yeah, so the, the second book is, um, so I guess to put it in context with the first book, so the first book is very much about the earth and our place within it. And for anyone who's read it, it seems to change their, I don't know, I guess the earth seems to come alive for people after they read the first book. Um, whereas the second book is much more about the self and it's like a companion guide for those who are going through the spiritual awakening process which can be an incredibly, I mean, I can vouch for that, geez. Um, it's an incredibly disorienting and confusing time where you just feel like your whole world is falling away. Um, and I guess what Krishna does in that book is gives you a method to the madness so that, because so, so many of the people that, so I, in my work one-on-one -on -one with people, I work a lot with healers. Um, and so Lots of the people that I work with are going through this process. And the common question is, am I crazy? 
I'm seeing things, I'm hearing things, I don't know what's happening, I'm losing friends, things I used to like, I don't like anymore, um, you know, what's happening. And so this book is essentially what you would want to have with you. And I guess all the information we would have loved to have had prior to um, going through that process. I think often we can be going through it for a long time before we get any help. And I think a lot of people too can confuse it with um, with things mentally breaking down <laughs> that you're losing your mind. Um, yeah. Absolutely. It's a process of letting go of identity, um, identity, identity, sorry, identity formulated around the outside world. So identity with the body, like I am this body or I am this sex or, you know, female or I'm this sexual gender or, I am my education, I am my parents and my political, socio-economic status, you know, I am my job. So when we get so identified with that, as we're taught to, uh, when we grow up, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? Don't you say that to every little kid? <laughs> what are you going to be when you grow up as if it's the most important thing? And most kids go, I don't know. <laughs> I'm living in the moment. I'm having fun. I'm happy now. Like, do I have to think about that right now? I've got to say, I've said that to so many kids. <laughs> I feel so guilty. What are you going to be when you grow up? And yeah. then it's like, oh, yeah. And then identifying back to the unity and oneness and like, who am I as spirit, as soul? Who am I, you know, as a spiritual being having a physical life experience and not, and so it's un unraveling all that and it, mm. it is crazy confusing right yeah and i think i always really feel for kids because they're the closest to who they were before yeah. just in age and so like i had this remembrance of you know when we were in the u.s we were um we were in this museum and they had Aztec artifacts and I had all of these past life memories come up. And one of the memories I had from, I guess, my physical life in this life is that, you know, I remember asking my grandma for a shrunken head. She would give me tikis, um, which are like, you know, um, little New Zealand good luck charms. And I had a lucky rabbit's foot and there were always clues, <laughs> but I was asking for all these tools that I felt like I wanted. But then I think as we grow up and we become more grounded in the human world and more separated even just logistically by age to where we came from before, um, it's tough. I also feel for babies because I think they're incredibly wise and yet they're stuck in these bodies where they can't even use their, their hands. <laughs> like it's just, it's tough for them, I think. Absolutely. It, absolutely. It's tough. Yeah. It's not easy being green as I always say. Yeah. Um, How do you think court that we can uh, sort of get kids more connected to like, I don't know, they're already in the moment, in the present moment, enjoying the now. How do we keep them there without having them too stressed out about the future? It's like, we need to teach this nowness in schools. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's hard. Like, I think it's amazing what, you know, what certain schools are doing with teaching kids to meditate. I think that is so priceless and invaluable um, that they're being taught that because I think it's, even if I just think about technology, the wave of, I guess, stimuli that's coming at them that just seems to continue to grow. It, it does, I think, shrink our connection to who we are um and so we've got a 14 year old girl who's about to turn 15 and 
I, I had a moment, you know, this year where I thought I really need to work on giving her all the information that I wish that I had have had um, from the beginning, not bringing her up in a human way, um, obviously teaching her how to live in the human world and also the spiritual world, but um, passing on all the information the spirits give me about what earth actually is, which they refer to it as, as like a big school that we come to fulfill a curriculum over many, many lives. Um, and I guess teaching her the rules of a game where we often feel like there's no rhyme or meaning to what's happening. You know what I just got then, as you said, that a big school, we don't come here to learn how to be spiritual. We come here to learn how to be human. Yeah. Like that's the school, right? We're not um, learning spiritual principles. We're learning human principles. We're remembering spiritual principles. How do I help children remember who they are? Good question, Yonette. Because yeah. I know that I try to speak to them as, as I know they are, but they're, some of them are wrapped up in this very physical experience for good reason, but yeah. it doesn't help them to heal some of the, the trauma and the bullying and just... Yeah, they're caught. They're trying to get caught up in this earthly experience, but I know that they're closer to who they really are than I, like you know, than I was at that age. So yeah, how do I remember? What do I say? There are three magic words that I could say, so they go, "Oh, she knows." That's for you, Court. That question for you. <laughs> I don't know, but did it? I don't know if there are words as such but I think if you can show them unconditional love because I think that is something that we really struggle to find in this in this world as well like everything is so conditional and I think you know back to my journey as a child and how much fear there was you know I obviously had the unconditional love of my parents but then you know looking at my dad for instance he was incredibly driven and I think that's probably a large reason why I'm so driven now. Whereas with my mum, there was just like total softness. And that mum always said to me, if you want to be a garbage collector, I will support you in that. You don't have to be anybody. Um, so I think, I guess school is somewhere that kids spend such a lot of their time, but if they can feel like they can be totally themselves, that is just such a huge influence, I think. Yeah. I think from my perspective, Yonette, um, just asking them who they are, reminding them who they are and, and um, like, who are you? They might say upset. Well, who are you when you're not upset? I don't know. Well, if you did know, I don't know. Yep. Nice. Oh, yeah, you're nice. Are you a nice person? Yeah, I'm a nice person. Are you a loving person? Yeah. Do you love your mom? Do you love your cat? Do you love your... Yeah. So you're, so you're loving. So what would mm -hmm. love do now? And just sort of talking to them at yeah. level... I remember when my daughter came home after year 10, at the end of year 10, where they're asking them to pick the curriculum for the next couple of years, the end of high school. And yeah. this is going to be, this is what they said to them, this is going to be decisions that you make for the rest of your life. And if you don't get this right, and she came home totally stressed. And I remember I had a conversation with her out on the balcony and said, what's going on? And she's like, I don't know if I want to do maths. I hate maths, but I probably should do it because, you know, if I don't, I can't get into this university and like all those decisions about what. And I said, I just reminded her, you know, your success in this life has nothing to do with the subjects that you pick. 
or the university that you go to. Your success in life has everything to do with how you can stay happy because mm -hmm. your happiness will mm -hmm. take you on a journey of where you want to go. Like just trying to put it in language that a 14, 15 year old can understand. Um, your ability to stay happy, even when people are mean to you or bully you, your ability to stay loving will be your success in everything that you choose to do. Yeah. And I remember she looked at me and she, and like all these decisions about what she was supposed to do and that all that melted away. And she thought, well, I can do that. Easier said than done, right? Staying happy. But she thought at that point, I can do that. I can stay happy. That seems easy. And um, little did she know it was not as easy as she thought. As she went through her dark night of the soul in her mid-20s, happiness was so far away from her. But um, it just in that moment, it just melted all that stress away, just that having that ability to stay happy. What, yeah. what are some of the uh, clues that Krishna gives in the second book about all this court? Um, well, I was just going to add to that. Um, so how, how the spirit speaks to me when we work with people is, is the different roles that they're here to play. So I, as I mentioned, I work with lots of healers, um, which they talk about the essence of a healer just being um, that, that just being in your presence. If you're a healer is healing for other people, it's less about the modality and that's just a way of expressing who you are and, and what you do. Um, but then there's also teachers and visionaries and warriors. Like, you know, um, if there are kids who seem to stand up for other kids, um, in the playground, then they tend to be warriors and they, they could go on to do any number of different things, um, out in the world. So they speak to me more in, in the terms of roles and then we just choose how we express them. So like I work with healers who are DJs and chefs and, and they're all just delivering their healing essence in different ways. Um, yeah. So, but back to the book, um, I guess he, he takes you through the process of essentially, um, I guess, breaking down. So if, if we imagine ourselves as, as almost like Michelangelo's David, but we're covered in, just huge amounts of clay. Um, the spiritual awakening process, I think, just chips away at us with a chisel, sometimes in big chunks and sometimes in, in little chips. Um, but it, he, he takes you through that, that process of what that will feel like and to know that as you're going through that process, you're okay. I often say when students encounter a problem, I tell them that um, they've created a lesson that they need to learn what can you learn from this? Yeah, how amazing are you in creating such a lesson for you to learn something new? Oh, I know. I wish so that's I had, awesome. That actually wish, gives goosebumps. Goosebumps. <laughs> you know, yeah. I wish we all had a headmistress like you. Let me unmute you. Yeah. There are advanced beings living inside the earth while the caveman roamed around on the outside of the earth. And um, so there have been various stages of humans on the earth at different stages in their evolution. It's, it's fascinating. The history of the earth is fascinating. Has Krishna sort of given you any more insight into, into all of this? Um, so from, from what I've been told, the reason why the books exist is that um, essentially and, you know, around 2020, the earth is going into a rebalancing. Um, but I've actually been told that we've already started that process. Um, so a big reason why they exist is to kind of help us move through that process 
together and what we need to be aware of. And, um, you know, initially for me, because I was, I was told that there would be more natural disasters and that we might see some war and things like that coming to pass. Um, initially I had a lot of fear about that and I really wanted to just go buy bottles of water and beans and start stashing things. (laughs) But then, you know, I've just become more comfortable with the idea that the earth is going through the process that she needs to go through. And that, um, Something I've been seeing recently in healings is it's almost like the earth is detoxing and she's bringing up all of the acts that have been committed on her soil and I'm just seeing them, um, actually saw them as blood rising to the surface so that it could be released. Um, but a lot of people are feeling that energy. Um, like we, we were living in Byron Bay for a couple of years and, and there's a lot that's happened there um, I think with, you know, atrocities against our Indigenous people and I can feel that energetically driving through, you know, I can tell if something bad has happened, you know, in that space. And, and I think the earth is, is kind of purging a lot of that energy now. Um, in, it's almost like, you know, how they say that every seven years we get all new cells and it, I, I feel like the earth is going through that process now of cleansing. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that all the teachings that we're teaching as teachers and that we're living as students, because I think that we're all teachers and students simultaneously. Absolutely. Is how to maintain your sense of joy and connection to your source inside, you know, the like inside the pro- like the hurdles, the problems, the the, the stuff that we're going through. Um, yeah, because that's yeah. I mean, how can you like? How can you not let the outside circumstances dictate your inside circumstances? Let your inside circumstances dictate the outside circumstances. Like, I had a friend over here for we had a meeting here recently, and she's like coughing and she's really angry at the politicians because of the fires, and she can't breathe, and um, like that. That just doesn't help. That doesn't help. Like being angry at the politicians ain't going to help. It's not going to stop the bushfires. <laughs> it's not going to help you breathe. In fact. The anger at what's happening, the atrocities that we see, as as you say, as as, as we're purging, isn't yeah. going to help you experience it, experience life in a in a joyful, peaceful, connected way. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, Krishna gave me a great metaphor once of you know a ball of tangled wool that we can't. Sl- well, you, you, if if we were to be inside this ball of wool, it's very hard for us to untangle it. Yet if we step back outside it and we look at it, then we're able to see what's happening and to untangle it from the outside. And I think if we can step back and see what's going on with the world and look at it and then choose the impact that we each want to make, I think that's what took the fear out of it for me, that, you know, I can only do as much as what I can do. I can surrender as much as what will my journey will allow for me at the time and to know that will be a constant process. And, and I think just by speaking out about, you know, who we are and what we're here to do and where we're at on our journey as well, because I think that's the other tricky thing is that there's this huge wave of perfection that we're fighting where, you know, all of social media believes that we should have these perfect lives. And it it makes it really hard for us to show our shade and our darkness when if we're actually able to show that, then it gives other people permission to be able to show that too. Um, So I guess we, we can all walk through this, I guess, dark night of the soul together if, 
if we're happy to say that that's what we're going through and then other people can join us on that. Cause I think there's a lot of hidden pain that there's, there's lots of people that just mask how they're feeling. And I think that's why we have so much depression and because we're all trying to be perfect all the time when there is no perfection. It's yeah. Especially as healers too. I think that people think that if you're a healer, you have to be perfect. And I think that by showing <laughs> your pain, I, I think remember, we do I'm, come here to play out all different roles and and i think over the course of all of our lives we've been all different races we've been in all different places and i think we come and i think each each life that we come into and all of the experiences that happen in each life that those are all pieces of the puzzle that gives us that give us a really holistic view of who we are as a spirit and and i think like something that i really loved about um, I guess the Hindu philosophy is that they do believe in light and dark. And that's what I've always struggled with about um, with religion is that they, you know, there's a tendency to demonize the darkness. Whereas in the Hindu philosophy, it's more about we are both light and shade at the same time. And Krishna always says, you know, if we can walk the line in the middle, that's a sustainable path for us. If we try to be too light, we'll, you know, we'll fall off the wagon and, and fall into dark. And if we can just be in, in the middle, um, yeah, I guess there's so many different views on, on, on why we're here and, and why we do the things that we do. Um, another philosophy that they have is that, um, that the earth and I guess time on earth is, is born of four different chapters and that in the first chapter of our time here, we're incredibly enlightened. And that as we move through the chapters, which I guess would be like lessons, we become less and less enlightened. And so we're in the fourth chapter now, which is called the Kali Yuga. And, you know, I would refer to this as a bit like the Homer Simpson era, that we're probably at our least best. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of learning. And I think, you know, knowing it gives me hope and heart that we're going to be going back into a more enlightened era again. But I do think there's got to be some pretty big catalysts um, for change. Um, so, you know, I think there are a lot of people on the earth at the moment that are just going through the motions and, and that's just where they're at on their soul journey. And then there's other people that are waking up. And, but, you know, I, I do think that, you know, potentially we will see more of, um, I guess, the equivalent of, of atomic bombs because that's what we might need in order to really be desperate enough. Like I, I always joke with my work that... Um, like people will often have to be brought to their knees in order to come and see someone like me. Like they yeah. will have tried every doctor, um, but you know, you've really got to be clawing at, at the earth in order to, to come and sit down in front of a spiritual healer and say, give me what you've got. And I think, you know, humanity, we're in that same place at the moment where, you know, you look at Australia with the fires and, yeah. um, you know, when I was in the States, I had lots of, I loved being in, in cabs, in Ubers and Lyfts just to get people's opinions on, you know, the States and what it's like living there and how has it been since Trump has been in power and the amount of times, and I get goosebumps again, the amount of times that people said that hate crimes have increased and, you know, we are really being shown that shade at the moment and I think the contrast is, I it's guess the where in the past it, it would have been more grey when now seeing it's it's like black and white now. It's really getting clear what. And I think that's forcing us too to look at ourselves and go, what is it that I believe in and what do I stand for? What am I willing to stand for? How much am I standing back? And what, what does that do if, I'm, if I don't have an opinion or I don't step forward for my neighbour or 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and Krishna's saying, uh, thank you everybody for having us here with you today. Uh, we so appreciate uh, your energy and your commitment to this path. Uh, I would love for Courtney to share uh, our second book, Awaken Souls, with you, and she will arrange for this to be transported to you in the most human way. In this book, uh, you will find many ideas, some of which will resonate, some will not. Uh, but we ask you to take only what you need and to receive these words with love uh, and to know that this book and these words carry a power with them that will help you on your journey uh, of shedding and revealing your true self and who you really are. Uh, this is all we wish to see from all of you. Uh, we do not wish for you to compete in the world uh, as this will only end in pain and sorrow. We only wish for you to be yourselves wholly and completely, to express your spirit in only the way that you know how, and to use your gifts to touch as many people as possible. Knowing that these gifts are essentially born of love, they just manifest in different ways. And we ask that you hold no fear in expressing uh, the gifts and the words and the songs that each of you wish to share. Uh, all we ask is that you step forward with love and to know that when you speak from your heart, that we are there supporting you every step of the way. And whilst your ideas may occasionally feel like they fall on deaf ears, uh, or that they are words being communicated in dreams to those who are sleeping, uh, do not underestimate uh, that you have not just planted seeds uh, in the hearts and minds of many, and that while it may take years for these seeds to germinate, they will in fact do so, and you will have played a part in the awakening of, of the many. Uh, thank you so much for your time here today. Um, and please do not hesitate to get in touch if you have any further questions. Um, myself and my team are always here for you. Uh, and they're all bowing to you. Uh, and they're showing me each of your guides all stepping forward around each of you. So, man, so much support. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs>